0: As you join us for another episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe, leave us a rating, and a review. It helps our podcast get a little bit more visibility. Welcome to Season 3 of To Be Continued, Troubling the Archive. In this episode, guest producer Aidan Corey chats with Jennifer Brune-Rentisham about longing, nostalgia, and memories from the perspective of two diasporic Indigenous folks, Conversations will span from how longing for community and culture is expressed through art, to the dynamics between dispersion, queerness, and connection. This connection and discussion between friends articulates the complexities of being urban Indigenous peoples. My name is Aiden Corey.
1: I'm a two-spirit and a chromoecolaptor but I currently live on the unceded Algonquin territory known as Ottawa. I'm really grateful to have been asked to guest produce this episode or to be continued. And also, really grateful that I get to be here speaking with my good friend Jennifer Brunei Um, Jennifer is a decolonial feminist queer artist based in the Ottawa Gatineau area. She is indigenous and of mixed ancestry, Canaan-pehaka, Algonquin, and French settler on her maternal side, and Brazilian Tupi Guarani and Ukrainian on her paternal side. Jennifer's art pulls from the Woodland style of painting, Latin American folk art, and magical realism. If you would like to say hi, Jen, um, and if I mispronounced anything or didn't include anything, please feel free to adjust. No, thank
2: you for that introduction. You did perfectly. A lot of those words were are not easy to uh, pronounce. <laughs> um, but yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a multi uh, disciplinary artist and a multicultural artist so it kind of complements each other yeah and I'm really grateful to have gotten the opportunity to do this podcast today and chat with you and have more of a grassroots holistic conversation um, and share our thoughts with with everyone
1: yeah um cool so this episode we We'll basically be talking about the concept of longing, nostalgia, and memories as two diasporic indigenous folks and how these things impact our art. Um, I guess to start off, um, we can maybe talk a little bit about how we know each other. Yeah, well,
2: we met, when was it? 2018, I think. Yeah, so I was 18 at the time and I was Mm -hmm. eager to build like a sense of community around like an, an indigenous community around me so that's when i decided to go and we met through bumble friends yeah <laughs> and we immediately connected because we were both indigenous that was my first connection in building like my little, little like niche community in ottawa and yeah you you were the first so that it, it's very special to me
1: yeah. I, like, it's a very similar situation for me where I had just moved to Ottawa, like, maybe, like, a month before and hadn't really made any friends yet. Jen was one of the first people to, like, be my friend, and so that was a really special experience. Um, I think the first thing we did together was, like, go to um, the Museum of Civilization, and we got to see the exhibition. It was actually on the Arctic, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I think it was the Franklin expedition which like in hindsight now is like super apropos to like the work we do now and like kind of like the politics and the social commentary around our art.
1: Yeah, speaking of that, do maybe want to talk more about the politics within your art than the um and I guess in general just like how did your artistic practice develop? Because I remember when we first met, um, we weren't very serious about art. It wasn't really something that had come up too much. Um, and like, like then versus now, it's, it's like a big kind of adjustment or change, I guess, in that sense, because we are very much focused on art and how to make that into something worthwhile, I guess, in the sense of, the conversations that we're having in our art
2: yeah for sure so at the time i think art has always been like a big interest of mine um but i never really considered it as a means or a tool to express um my lived experience or my politics or social commentary i, I didn't really learn it as a vehicle to do that and i even went to i was in visual arts in college and still didn't get that experience and when i did try to do that i was labeled as being too political or um stereotyped as like the angry indian character um and that i hated canada and that a lot of my energy was negative Um, so I wasn't in an environment that was very supportive or conducive to that. It's only once I like moved out on my own, got out of school that I truly started to use art, like for my own purposes and like channeling, uh, important, like issues that were important to me, like, uh, decolonization, uh, body positivity, or body, a better term would be body neutrality, queer rights, gay liberation, kind of in the same grouping, and um, environmentalism. What about you? What was that moment or that change? When was that for you where like you started considering it more seriously, like this could be uh, a career or something that you could reach out to people with?
1: Yeah. Um, I think again, similarly to you, I it, art had always been an interest of mine. And like even to the point where like in grade six, I think I was like, oh, I'll be a writer one day. And then just kind of like it got a little lost um at certain points in my life. Um, and then when I moved to Ottawa, it became very clear to me that in the sense of like being indigenous, being indigenous in a place away from home and needing to, or feeling the need to, I guess, represent Inuit in certain ways. And obviously I'm not the the end all, be all voice of Inuit. Um, But like feeling a definite need to be a source of, um, I guess, like to speak out about like certain injustices inuit face and that indigenous peoples face, but also I guess along the way it became also about showcasing like culture and and not just the injustices because there can be like the sense of like trauma porn for a lot of indigenous people where only the negative is seen and talked about, um, and yeah I guess just. Within moving to Ottawa, that became very clear to me that these were things that I wanted and needed to do um, as an individual, and art kind of was a really great way for me to be able to express myself in that way. And so, yeah, as I kind of grasped these concepts more concretely, um, it became just secondary to, like, expressing myself um, with art in that way. yeah, so definitely a lot of the topics in my art are, like, just um, things that I've seen as an Inuk. Um, like, a lot of it has to do with, like, um, family and relationships. And whether that be to the land or to people or to, like, um, community and even to food. Like, I explore that a lot in my in my art lately. But, yeah, it became a really good tool in terms of like education but also showcasing culture um and that was really important to me right and i guess
2: as two people two indigenous people living in an urban area sometimes it's you feel like you have even more of an obligation to showcase your culture because you're not living it it's not omnipresent like it would be if you were in your community. So taking that extra initiative of making art related to your culture, wearing beaded earrings every day, like incorporating it into your everyday, yeah, as like urban indigenous uh, people, I think that's a very common experience.
1: Which leads me to, like, a good question, I think, in in relation to that. And I guess it's, like, how do we connect to other Indigenous people and through our art? Um, How do we connect to community through our art? And, like, how do we express longing for our communities through that? Well, I guess it's a realization, and also
2: it's intentional, but also a realization. Um. Where I've been like there's a lot of crossover between my experience as an indigenous person in Canada and being uh, Latinx, like because there's the, a similar co- colonial history and colonial trauma. I've noticed, yeah, a lot there's a lot of parallels and I draw on that in my art. So I kind of am able to connect both communities. Um, and it's able to speak not only to like indigenous folks in North America, but it can speak to people, um, like it, it spans the border, right? Um, it can, it speaks to, uh, indigenous folks in Brazil where I'm from, Mm. but also like other countries. And because I have that link, it kind Mm. of broadened my view that even more so, like I want to learn and exchange from other indigenous cultures. Like I, I, I would love to kind of learn more and visit and experience Maori art and culture or anything within the like Polynesia. That would be awesome. Um, just knowing that it's all interconnected, I guess, by realizing that oh, my dad's who like colonial trauma and indigeneity is very similar to my mom's Um, and then realizing how everything is very interconnected and then learning oh like this country also has a history of residential schools and um just like yeah feeling of unity and wanting to uh learn more and just expand my horizons
1: what about you um yeah I guess I feel a lot of the same ways, and but like from my context, it's like it's a little bit different because like I'm Inuk, Arm um, and Scottish on my maternal side, and um, like just like Irish and Scottish on my paternal side. So there's not like that duality of indigenous cultures, I guess um, that you have experienced. Um, but I guess in terms of like connecting, I feel that's really important especially as people who have historically been disconnected from each other or attempted to be disconnected from each other it becomes kind of like special to reinvent those connections to to reestablish them rather um and i think there is like a again that longing there for example like when i see other indigenous people celebrating their cultures in certain ways i'm like wow i i really appreciate that i wish this for, for Inuit as well. Um and it's like a very like empowering thing to see indigenous peoples worldwide like um taking back their cultures in that sense. And I guess if we were to connect it to art, um and my art specifically, because that's what I that's what I can talk about, I guess I feel like um, because I'm also a tattoo artist, like an Indigenous tattoo artist, um, or Inuit tattoo artist, more specifically, I have found some connection there with other Indigenous tattoo artists and other Indigenous peoples, where I've like gotten the opportunity to learn more about their cultural practices as well as my own, um, and that like we. In the most wholesome sense, are able to like take lessons from each other and collaborate in a way that that doesn't like appropriate, I guess, but like appreciates and um, uses the knowledge of bobblers um, to reestablish those those pieces of knowledge that weren't that were like dormant. So I guess yeah, it is super important for me to learn from other indigenous cultures and like to connect with ind- other indigenous people in that way.
2: Yeah, um, it's funny you mention that because like like indigenous tattooing, yeah, exactly something that takes place in North America, South America, in Polynesia, etc. Like, and actually in 2019, I went back to Brazil. Um, to visit my father, and that's when I started my ear-stretching journey um, because I had seen mm-hmm. that a lot of my ancestors on my tupi Guarani side, that um, up until recently, it was very, very common for them to have stretched ears, and I had always appreciated the style, and now I like once I went there, really validated it for me, and I started that journey uh, after after that. And now I love them, and it's uh, again a constant reminder for me that I'm connected to um, my ancestors. Uh, it doesn't necessarily need to be like big beaded earrings every day for me. It's just like a body modification that was a tradition for hundreds of years that I've now taken on myself, uh, which is similar
1: to tattooing as well. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that. That's kind really of cool. But yeah, I guess on a like speaking of like on a cultural level, how does longing arise in self-taught art? Because I know you're we uh, you went to school for art, but you you're also you are primarily self-taught as well um and, and so how does that yeah arise on a cultural level how is the need i guess to self teach a product of colonialism uh well i mean I, I i
2: guess i i don't know if this is necessarily connected it probably it, it is but like i have felt the need to self to teach myself because on a I, I guess professional level or academic level when i was in school the art training i was getting none of it was from an indigenous perspective everything was from was western all the standards were western like what is considered high art low art we were all abiding by this western system which is probably why i was so miserable and failing and people didn't really understand that. They were like, why are you, uh, are you like failing in your classes? Or why are you miserable? You're so good at art. And it's because there's the epistemology um at the college, uh, their curriculum was so um so colonial and so western that it wasn't conducive for not only indigenous, but like for BIPOC people to learn like um, it wasn't a nurturing environment for them and I wasn't able to develop my personal style there so it was only yeah afterwards where I felt like I really like if I want to learn indigenous floral uh, patterns if I want to learn uh, beadwork if I want to learn even just like renowned contemporary indigenous artists, that it's gonna have to be of my own volition. It's gonna have to be my own initiative. And luckily I was able to do that. That was facilitated, sorry, because I had a community. I had built a community with you and uh, other indigenous folks. Um so that that was easier. It wasn't I didn't have to do it completely alone. But I mean, a lot of us do, and I just feel like sometimes it is, like, not necessarily a privilege, but I envy sometimes some people who, like, grew up with access to all that cultural or knowledge or artistic knowledge and didn't have to self-teach. Not that I did grow up with, um, I did grow up with a lot of sacred and traditional or cultural knowledge, but like, how to channel it into my art. Yeah, I, I sometimes envy it. Like, for example, on the West Coast, um, I feel like that that is, like, very, very intertwined, like, expression of cultured art. So, like, with uh, totem poles or um, carving or, like, just Culture and art is so omnipresent. It's so like, it's like entwined with entwined. Yeah, it's so ingrained in their everyday. I get, yeah, I guess envious of that, Um, and that for here because we were an earlier point of contact. That that is, uh, Mm -hmm. fortunately, further away from us. So we have to put in more effort to reclaim and revitalize. those practices?
1: Yeah, I think from my own experience, um, being kind of a later point of contact, um, it we still in our communities have a lot of that knowledge. Um, but then when it comes to expressing that, it's, there's a little bit of a disconnect in some ways um, because we have um, a lot of trauma in regards to like being free- able to freely express ourselves, um, which leads to a bunch of other different problems um, within our communities. Um, but in like, for s- specifically what comes to mind when I think of like being self-taught um, as an artist and having to kind of like forge your own path in that sense, I guess. Um, I think about like my, grandmother and having access to her as a teacher and a knowledge keeper um and her kind of guiding me on how to like sew traditional clothing and then once that connection was gone when she passed away like I didn't have that teacher anymore and am now like at this point where I have to learn those things myself and it's kind of a daunting experience of like reaching out, trying to reach out to different community members and like saying, Hey, can you help me with this? Like, they don't necessarily know everything that I want to know about this, but also like learning from YouTube tutorials, um, on how to like sew park that. Um, but like how that, I guess is impacted how that has impacted my art, um, is like, I very much have had to like find my own style and, like, find what has been meaningful for me and um, taking that and putting that into graphics, into visuals, I guess, in the best way that I can, because, like, I don't have all those experiences that I wish I had sometimes because of, like, that disconnect that is sometimes present um, in indigenous cultures because of the, as a result of colonization. It's, it's a bit of a difficult thing to even, like, talk about because, like, you I find want to like speak about the difficulties, but also you don't want to discredit anyone or like for me personally, like I don't want to say like, oh my community doesn't help me, because that's not true. But um but also like recognizing that there's only so much that a community can do when they're still processing, I guess, all this all this stuff that has happened. Um, in regards to colonialism, yeah, I agree.
2: Um, actually, something I'm really, really thankful for—that's often, I guess, maybe has a negative connotations to it—is social media. Um, as an Indigenous person, building community and asking questions and being able to reconnect and revitalize through facebook and instagram but facebook and especially because Nietzsche's love facebook <laughs> i swear like Nietzsche's and like middle-aged white moms are like the only people keeping facebook alive um but i yeah i often hear like negative talk around social media and how and it definitely, I do acknowledge how it can be um, misused and can be toxic. Uh, however, I what's not often incorporated into the conversation is that this is the first time in history where, like, we finally have a no barrier platform for BIPOC people, specifically, like in our case, Indigenous people, to mm-hmm. share knowledge. Uh, and to have voices on in any other context we wouldn't be able to and so that i'm very very grateful for that uh and i don't think it should be the importance of that shouldn't be lessened uh and also if you do have to resort to facebook for questions about how to do certain like how do i edge my beadwork or how do i XYZ there's no shame in that and I feel like oftentimes being an urban indigenous uh, people there is like you feel like lesser than or less indigenous because you have to uh, reach out uh, and that it's not innate to you but that's exactly what the system intended right by continuing to reach out and like challenging like being humble Showing humility and, like, even being... Maybe challenging yourself, even being embarrassed sometimes and asking questions. You're continuing to deconstruct that system.
1: Yeah. It's so funny to me that you mentioned Facebook because, like, I went recently... So just as like a bit of context, um, family photos um, from like ancestors or like even just like three generations, four generations ago are really difficult to find if you um, don't have them in your family um, directly. So like for Inuit, unless you have like the photos that were taken by like anthropologists of your great-great-grandfather, then they're kind of lost. So recently, went on like this deep dive of like looking for family photos, um, and one of the places I actually did that was Facebook because that's that's where a lot of relatives are. That's and I actually did find some photos of like my great great grandfather um, and um, my great grandmother and my grandmother when she was a child in the 1950s. Um, so it's like very much. Again, the system of having to search, having to put yourself out there to gain knowledge, to to find out these things, to find family photos, um, like it's it becomes this journey and this search to actually discover anything, to, and that that's difficult in some ways, but it's also like. It's very connecting, I think, to be able to, like, go on Facebook and, and type in someone's name or, like, um, family's names, and then be able to find photos of them. Um, and I, like, I speak about this particularly in the sense of, like, a lot of my art, again, is family-based. Um, so, my first poetry book was a lot to do with my family and growing up in, in, in Um and, so these photos are basically like inspiration for me and practice um because like I now know what my four times great grandfather looked like um when I didn't have that knowledge previously. Um, so making these connections and having that access to that information is really important as especially as an as an urban indigenous person.
2: Yeah I agree. yeah and I guess yeah, the struggle with that is like, I sometimes gaslight myself in the sense that, like, I'm like, well, if I have to search so intently to find these things, it's like, am I really privy to this information or to this cultural knowledge? Uh, And then I'm like, okay, no, actually, this is like, this, yeah, this is exactly what the colonial policies and colonial systems intended. On happening where you feel like you are don't have a place, and that to yeah essentially have have indigenous culture, language, art die off. So it is important to keep pushing, even through like if you feel like like those feelings of shame or embarrassment, or if you're shy or feel out of place to push through those feelings and that's led to a lot of like personal growth too
1: yeah i feel like being an indigenous person and one more an indigenous artist is like a lot of the time putting yourself into these conversations and putting yourself um out there in that way um like um networking has has been difficult for me because like for a lot of history, Inuit art was viewed as this one very specific thing. And that's like carvings and wall hangings. And that, like, I love that. That's amazing. Wall hangings and carvings are beautiful and should be appreciated. But there's also, as we move forward, a lot of different kinds of Inuit art um, that need to be recognized as well. And as an artist that works on those kinds of, um, and in, in, the, in that practice and in, in different um, methods, I guess, um, it becomes this um, job of mine to also be, like, my own personal, like, promoter, I guess. And that can be a little bit difficult at times as well because it's like, what do I say to, to validate myself to people who are, like, expecting something entirely different?
2: Well, something that I've come to learn is that my art is indigenous inherently because it's made by an indigenous person. It doesn't have to abide by any uh tradition or uh notion or it like yeah portrayal that we have of indigenous art or whatever like it inherently is indigenous art because it's made by an indigenous artist. And that's the end of the story, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, But that's like, it's like a journey to get to that realization, I feel like a lot of the time. Not to like, change the topic too too much but I also as like as both queer artists um um, and I wanted to kind of touch on that and how that can create like a complicated complicated dynamic between ourselves and our communities and like how that impacts our art um because like I know personally um, in like coming from communities that are like again have been recently impacted by colonization, it's just a lot of this knowledge about queerness and how that was represented traditionally. It is not something that we talk about too often, and um, sometimes discouraged in both the traditional and modern sense. So, like being queer in my community isn't something that I really—I'm not super open about it. Um, when I'm in my community, like if someone misgenders me or if someone like um, dead names me, then I'm like, I don't really. Yeah, it's—it becomes this thing where I don't touch on that too much, um, just because there is like complications there. Um, but like, how I guess. Firstly, do you have that experience? Um, how does queerness impact your art and how does community impact your queerness?
2: Yeah, um, so for me, uh, I go by she, they, those are my pronouns, and I think really the only thing stopping me from changing my pronouns fully to they, them, or being completely non binary is, um. The fact that I understand how colonization has impacted Indigenous or communities of color, and how that that transition is not necessarily the easiest. I don't necessarily have empathy for like non-Indigenous people who struggle with it, but. Um, I do have, yeah. Like for example, my my Latino, my yeah, Latinx family in Brazil are very Catholic, uh, very conservative. There's so much internalized racism uh, within them. There's a lot of homophobia and transphobia. So, as a result, it's not a safe space for me to come out. Either as pansexual or non binary. Even those concepts are like so foreign because um, the process of decolonization there is like so, it's like, it's not quite in the momentum that it is here, or at least where my family's from. It might be different in bigger cities like Sao Paulo or Rio de Janeiro, but my family's from rural Brazil, so. <laughs> That's a different story. Yeah, I just acknowledge that that is a consequence of, of colonial harm. It's a intergenerational trauma. I don't necessarily blame them. I do think with every new generation that, that those behaviors are unlearned. But luckily here, my family is extremely supportive and they're fully aware of my queerness and celebrate it um my mom is my number one supporter um <laughs> any time there's like mention of any anything lgbtq she's like actually my daughter is <laughs> yeah. um and yeah like so proud of that um so it, it is funny to kind of have that contrast too um to kind of see like well, the difference like um the different points in colonization that uh both halves are so like my Brazilian half and my Canadian half like how far along in decolonization my mom's family is versus my dad's family um and I'm not quite sure what like what are the reasons I think just like religion in Brazil and South America in general is just still so powerful. I don't know, I think that's a huge factor. But, uh, yeah, and in my art, so I have kind of, like, reoccurring characters or, uh, personas, like, figures, like, reoccurring figures in my art, and they're genderless. Because I would, I would like for you know anyone to be able to picture themselves, or not necessarily picture themselves, but it, it be representative of anyone—whether uh, you're male, female, to spirit, non-binary, or not on the binary at all, like uh, every anything in between. So, um, in my art, it's very important that it's not necessarily it's not gendered. The themes are usually sometimes they are because like recently i did one on body sovereignty uh in as a comment on the uh, abortion rights issue going on in the u.s so that's specifically i guess something that has to do with afab people but yeah what about you how does like queerness impact your art or yeah, specifically, because you kind of explained how your relationship with queerness is in your community, but how does it then kind of how is it then incorporated into your art?
1: Yeah. Um I always feel like I'm walking kind of like a very delicate line when I approach the topic of queerness within my art. Um recently um I did a photo series of like beadwork and like um and the Inuit interpretation of like a ribboned skirt. So like I did that within with the Pride flag colors um and then the beadwork I was on a chest binder with the Pride Fly colors as well. Um and so that felt like kind of scary to me to like be talking about these things within my art um and have it released on like a public level um where like it was very open to criticism from community members. Um, and again, there's that sense of empathy there that you were talking about, where it's like I don't um begrudge um community who aren't there yet um within their acceptance of queerness um because it is like a very it's a very convoluted conversation, and in, in a lot of indigenous communities, um, there is that that aspect of like heavily um, being heavily Christianized um, as a result of colonization, and how that has impacted our views on queerness as a community. Um, so, if, like, I very much try to keep that in mind um, and not take things to heart too much um, when. I receive criticisms on my gender or my sexuality, um, and being open about these things. Um, but it is still like I like I mentioned, a kind of like a scary conversation to 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 broach. Um, but I think it's a very important one to to bring to light as well. And I think a lot of other Inuit artists are beginning to do that or have been doing that as well. Um, in the sense that like these are things that need to be talked about um, because queer new exist. Um, and like, especially for me, it's important to talk about for like our youth who are still living in their communities who may not be as accepting um, and kind of may feel alone because like, I remember when I was growing up, um, like I didn't even really know being trans was a thing um because it wasn't discussed in our communities and um like I remember coming out of bi, and that was a big deal and it was only within like my very close family circle um that I came out because I didn't really feel comfortable coming out to anyone else so like that that aspect of like not feeling um seen and not feeling heard is something that I really think needs to change. Um, and I hope that that conversation can start. Um, and that it can be contributed to through art. Um, and like, hopefully, um, when I made those, that binder, that chest binder, that beaded chest binder and that skirt with the pride flag colors, um, that was a contribution to that conversation, I hope. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think think it's again a delicate line but one that needs to be walked yeah um actually i was gonna raise with you
2: like i know that there's um like behind like your tattoos for example um i remember having a discussion with you where you were trying to find if there were um traditional tattoos for people who identify it as two spirit.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um that I am still currently looking. I'm not sure if there were. Um I've had conversations with several other in re tattoo artists and knowledge keepers, but it's like a lot of that knowledge is very pushed down very deep. So like speaking to elders about it, and not a lot of elders that I know feel comfortable talking about these things. Um, And that was like the case for tattoos in general, just like 10 years ago, where that wasn't something that they wanted to talk about. And I guess that gives me hope in some ways in the sense that like, maybe queerness can be talked about a little bit more um, on a bigger scale. But in terms of like, um tattoos for 2 spirit individuals, it becomes a little complicated because like the way we view modern identities surrounding gender and sexuality is not the way they would have been viewed traditionally. Um and there were different roles and different terms that we would have used to describe them, right? So yeah, like if I went up to an elder and was like, hey, do we have did we have two spirit tattoos? They'd be like, what's two spirit? Um because it wasn't it's not like necessarily a concept that they'd recognize. Um So that becomes, I guess, there is again going back to the theme of like longing. There is longing there for those identifiers that um, are become deeply meaningful. Like my tattoos, they will come really at times of like difficult. Um, difficulty in my life and have helped me move forward. So to have ones that specifically um, represented my identity as a two-spirit individual would be like very important. Um, But also, I don't know if we're necessarily there yet. Right. I wanted to end on um, the term that you brought up a while back, um, the Portuguese term uh, um which you said isn't really translatable, but it means in some sense, like um, it's in relation to nostalgia. Um, so I guess, what does that word mean to you personally and how has it come to relate to your artistic practices? Yeah, um, "sudaji"
2: so is... Uh yeah, it's a Portuguese word that just means like it's a melancholic nostalgia or longing for a place or person. Uh it's not necessarily like yeah, tangible. Uh and it's really a longing. It's like a a visceral feeling. I love that word. I love that it's untranslatable. Um Because it's often not like that feeling that you get that of longing, nostalgia is often like you can't really explain it either. Um, and for me, that was that term has always been super. Um, I've always really connected to that term uh, because when I revisited Brazil in two thousand nineteen. Like, if I could encompass the whole experience in one word, it would be that word, Sudaji, because I went there and I was 20 years old. But immediately, I, once I got there, I was transported back to being a child. And I didn't know why. And it's because I had so much unresolved conflict and trauma with my father and with that side of the family with that just even identifying as part of that culture that i I almost regressed uh to being back to the point the the starting point uh when i was there last which was when i was five um and so because of that i had a lot of fight or flight moments um, when having conversations with my dad or my family or um yeah even just doing um uh, when they would suggest like like suggest activities or like sleeping um at it was like a family friend's cottage and I was just like there was in it like immediately a fight or flight triggered in me and i was like why is that and it's because yeah last time i was there um i was a child and i was very scared and there was a lot of things on like left unresolved and then once i came well once i came back i realized like it made so much more sense to me um why my grandfather was the way he was <laughs> Um, yeah, like, just, like, the way he behaved and, uh, his anxieties around going back to his community, um, and always having that fight or flight instinct, uh, and maybe some hostility even, it made so much more sense to me and I could connect to him better because I went through that myself uh, firsthand and I had to go I don't know like a hundred hundreds of thousands of like kilometers away to experience that um but yeah it finally clicked because a lot of the time before I resented my grandfather for kind of being more reserved and not sharing as much cultural knowledge as I would have wanted to or yeah. Uh, not exposing me to as much indigenous, yeah, culture as I would have wanted to. Um, And now, yeah, it made sense that he had a tumultuous relationship with his community and, uh, yeah, it just, it all clicked in and unfortunately he um, passed away that same year, actually. So, uh, it's Often sad that like you come to those realizations and
1: it's too late, yeah, or it's not necessarily too late, but it's just you can't have those conversations face to face. yeah,
2: I can't tell him that oh, I understand you and like I have compassion for where you're coming from, and I like that I don't hold any animosity towards him for being this way,
1: yeah. I guess, yeah, there's a word in um, Inuktitut for not necessarily the same thing because Inuit, I find, especially as I learn more of Inuktitut, that it's like very, it's a very direct language. <laughs> um, for example, the, the word for pride in Inuktitut isn't necessarily directly translated to pride. It's like, I'm happy for you because like Inuit saw pride as like, Not a, not a virtue that was like super um, encouraged in the sense that like the way we viewed the Western concept of pride was like oh no we don't we don't want that (laughs) like um, we want to be happy for each other we want to be happy for ourselves kind of thing, Um, but like the word the Inuit word for memories um sorry um is like um one that i've explored within my writing um and it's like something that i've also explored not directly but like the sense of like memories um through like a lot of my art um basically all of my art is in an exploration of, like, memories, whether they be mine or, like, an ancestor's memories, um, like my grandmother's or my, like, going to residential school or, um, yeah, it's it's all just in relation to each other. Um, and that's, like, really, I find impactful for me as an artist and hopefully impactful for the people who are viewing my art as well but yeah thank you so much for having this conversation with me um i yeah i i just like talking to you in general as a friend you're amazing and i'm an amazing artist like go check out jennifer's artwork if you haven't already like it's it's just the best um uh yeah
2: thank you so much my um number one hype man <laughs> um hype man gender neutral um, <laughs> uh, yes I always love talking to you um, and I always feel like I learn like I I come back looking at things a bit differently every time I talk to you or that we always find out that we have something in common like another thing in common that we didn't know about um, so I, I really cherish Um, our conversations and I'm glad that this can be memorialized in this podcast and can be shared and that others can
0: now relate to us as well. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Don't forget to subscribe, leave us a rating and a review. It helps us get that much more of a platform. To Be Continued, Troubling the Archive is hosted and produced by Anna Shahak. Technical support for the show comes through from Sven Sun. A major thanks goes to Hunter DeWache for their wonderful work in creating the logo for the series. The intro and outro are commissioned works by artist Chris Bucklewinkowski. The show would not be possible without the support of QAG and the Canada Council for the Arts Digital Now Grant.